Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Last week, we left the disciples huddled in a boat on the Sea of Galilee discussing how amazed and terrified they were of Jesus, who had just calmed the violent storm with just his words. And then with the wind gone, they must have had to furl the sails, take out the oars, and row the rest of the way across the lake. When they get to the other side, they're there just for a short time. As soon as he gets out of the boat, he's confronted by a demon-possessed man. And the demon within the man begs to be sent into a herd of pigs instead of into the abyss. And when Jesus agrees to allow it, he inhabits the pigs and they run down into the lake and drown. And then the pig herders tell the townsfolk, and the townsfolk come to Jesus. And we read in Luke 8.37, All the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he left in the boat. From the example last week and this example, we see that when Jesus chooses to display his power, it can be a frightening experience. And Jesus continues from here to preach and heal and cast out demons in Galilee. In Mark 6, we read that he visits his hometown of Nazareth again. But like before, he's rejected. One final time. And we read that he doesn't, we don't read again that he ever visits his hometown of Nazareth. And then he sends out his 12 on missions work to proclaim his message. And we read in Luke 9, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Jesus' first mission work for his apostles. And then Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us of John Baptist's death, his execution from Herod. John's disciples bring the good news from Judea, and the apostles arrive back about the same time. And Jesus gathers the twelve together, and they all prepare to take some time apart. They move to a solitary region. They try to. They travel away from the city of Capernaum and on to a more isolated region of Bethsaida. But the quiet time of reflection and debriefing with his apostles is interrupted by another crowd of people seeking Jesus. We'll read about that in our scripture today, which we're going to discuss Jesus feeding the 5,000. If you'd stand, let's re- let me read that scripture for us. John 6, verses 1 through 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, 
that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go with so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Let's pray a blessing upon the message. Father, thank you for the opportunity to learn about you through your word. Please provide your spirit richly to each one of us so that we can read, hear what you intend us to hear today through this message. Teach us things that we can do in our lives to grow closer to you and become more like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are still traveling through Jesus' life. This, the feeding of the 5,000, is unique in in one kind of important way. It's the only miracle recorded in all four of the Gospels. Uh, It's not to be confused with the feeding of the 4,000. That is a completely separate miracle and is only recorded in Matthew and Mark. This miracle occurs at the, the high point, the apex of Jesus' popularity during his lifetime. For about a year and a half now, he'd been traveling through Galilee, drawing great crowds to him that desired both to be healed and to benefit from his teaching. He's endeavored to spread this message about the kingdom of God throughout Galilee, both by touring himself and then by sending out his apostles to all the towns that he could not himself go to. But his popularity had also been noticed by the religious and political leadership in Judea who didn't care for his criticisms and his challenges of their authority. And it seems that the crowds, while enthusiastic, are often more interested in the signs and miracles that he performs than his message. So after the apostles return from their mission, and after the news of John the Baptist's death reaches Jesus, he decides to take some time apart to reflect and regroup with his closest disciples and friends. And they set out in their boat once again, For the far shore. We read that sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, 
And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. The other three Gospels make it clear that Jesus was looking for a solitary place. He was looking to get away, spend some time with his apostles, talk about their mission work, and rest. Was not easy. The whole territory of Galilee is about 50 miles long and 25 miles wide. And there are 200 towns and cities within it. It was a very well populated area. The map. So he left Capernaum up on the top left of the sea and went to Bethsaida on the right. John says that the crowds followed him. Mark says that when the people learned where he was going, they ran ahead of him. And they went through all the towns, and people gathered. And soon after he lands, a large crowd begins to gather. And they gathered because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. And it was also nearly Passover, so there were probably pilgrims making their way to Jerusalem that stopped to hear Jesus' message and swelled this, this crowd. So the crowd begins to accumulate from Capernaum, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and all the other towns and villages nearby. When I was preparing the message for last Sunday, I was talking with, with Don about the crowds that were following Jesus and how the sick and the injured were always pushing forward to touch him and be healed. And I suggested it must have been somewhat horrifying to have all these sick, diseased people always pushing forward to trying to touch him. Don pointed out that it must have also been very pitiful. The parent carrying the child, the son supporting an elderly mother, the lame hobbling forward, the blind swept up in the crowd, the deaf, the mute, the diseased pushing forward, straining to get to Jesus. And Don, of course, is right, as she often is, as she always is. <laughs> Jesus had a heart for these people who needed his touch. In this case, Matthew and Mark note that when Jesus saw the crowd, he was moved with compassion for them. He didn't send them away or get back in the boat to try and escape once again. He stopped what he was doing. He gave up his need for rest and reflection, and he spoke with the crowd and healed their sick. But he also uses the crowd to teach the disciples something about himself and his ministry. None of the gospel writers record the words of Jesus to the crowd. Instead, they focus solely on Jesus' words and the lesson to his disciples. So what did Jesus teach his disciples, and what lessons can we draw from his teaching? When I was reading through this passage, it struck me that sometimes it seems like we might not have much to give. But our talents, our gifts, our resources the time we put in the hands of Jesus for the work of his kingdom are often used in marvelous ways that we could not even imagine. Today we began Penny Crusade, and our small gifts, our pennies, will be used to minister to people around the world for the glory of Jesus Christ. Our resources in Jesus' hands can do more than we can imagine. Today we're going to focus on the difference between our math and God's math. 
as we see how Jesus tests his apostles. So first in verse 5, we have Philip's math. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. The crowd that at first was made up of those who managed to run ahead of the boats had grown. Verse 10 says there were 5,000 men. There would have been women and children with them. I've seen some estimates put the number of the crowd at 25,000. We don't have any way of knowing exactly, but this would have been a very large crowd, probably somewhere between 10 and 20,000 people. And God had put these people here to hear Jesus. But there was also a very human problem that this crowd brought with them. And it would have been natural for Jesus to turn to Philip for advice because Philip was from the area of Bethsaida. But John is careful to point out that Jesus wasn't looking for advice. Jesus was testing him. Philip looks around. He does the math. 5,000 men plus the women and children equals this much bread. Bread costs this amount. In the Greek, Philip specifies that it would cost 200 denarius. A denarius is a day's wage for a laborer. So in the NIV, Philip's answer is given as it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Philip is incredulous. And the, the NLT, the New Living Translation, gives his response as even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Feed this crowd? We couldn't feed this crowd with half a year's wages. The numbers just don't add up. But Philip apparently doesn't give up. He takes the question to the other disciples. And they must have been brainstorming while Jesus was ministering to this crowd. Crunching numbers, tallying their resources, counting the money bag, checking Judas' pockets. Because we read in Matthew 14, 15 through 16, that in the evening, they come to Jesus with a recommendation. It says, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. They're basically saying, Jesus, Philip told us you were wondering where we can get bread for this crowd. It can't be done. We've checked. We've checked our finances. We've looked for resources. We don't have them. We recommend that you send everyone away now before it gets too late. They can find food. They can find lodging in these local villages. It seems like a very well thought out, reasonable suggestion. But Jesus' response is not at all reasonable. Jesus replied... They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. <laughs> Have you ever had a manager like that? You've spent the day considering a problem that they've asked you to solve. And when you bring them a solution, they say, no, do something better. It's frustrating. And I think it was probably frustrating for the apostles as well. But this practical solution was not what God, not what Jesus had in mind. Remember, Jesus already knew what he would do. So he says, you give them something to eat. Andrew, 
Andrew's math. Andrew had been thinking about the numbers too, and now he speaks up. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Philip's mass said the resources were simply not available to feed this crab. He discounts any possibility of doing what Jesus asked. Andrew, too, doesn't know how these five barley loaves and two fish can be used but still he brings the boy that has them to Jesus. Saying, I went through the crowd to see if anyone had anything to share. Here's what I found. This boy with five flat barley cakes and a couple of pickled fish. Barley was the cheapest grain available. And the poorer the people, the more likely they were to use barley to make bread cakes, kind of like crackers. And then the fish, which were commonly pickled, would be put on the crackers like relish. And Andrew asks, how far will they go among so many? It's certainly not enough to feed the crowd, but maybe we can stretch out these meager resources, feed a few of the neediest people. Andrew has no idea how to solve this problem. But he tells Jesus what he knows, and he asks for help. If you've ever taught a group of children, especially math, you may note that when a child can't solve a problem, he tends to react in one of two ways. Like Philip, they just give up. They give up trying to do what you ask and they check out completely, or they find their own inventive ways to solve the problem. Like this classic example, find X. Logan actually tried this in an algebra problem. And although teachers may sometimes get some laughs from these type of things, you can probably guess that most teachers would prefer that, like Andrew, a student come to you and say, here's my numbers, here's what I've done. I don't know how to solve this problem. Can you help me? Philip tries to solve the problem by just inserting new numbers. Andrew can't figure out how to use the numbers, but Jesus' math is superior. In verse 10, Jesus says, Have the people sit down. There were plenty of grass at that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. He commands that the multitudes sit down on the grass. And in the Gospel of Mark, Mark adds that the grass is green. And that's a strange detail. Green grass. Thanks, Mark. But when we take in the complete picture, Jesus telling the apostles to have the people sit down in the green field near the Sea of Galilee, I think we can't help but be drawn to Psalms 23, 1 through 2, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. Mark also tells us that the Lord told the apostles to seat the people in groups of 50 and 100 so that they could be served. They're all seated together in families, probably, wonderfully in order, prepared to be served. But the only thing is there's nothing to serve them. But Jesus gives thanks. He looks to heaven and gives thanks. Gives thanks like the meal is already here. 
And I wonder sometimes about the details that are excluded from these Gospels. Certainly as the apostles are instructing people to sit down so they can serve them a meal, how are they responding to questions about the menu? And the disciples must have been really confused when Jesus blesses these five loaves and two fishes and then begins to distribute food to them. And no description at all is given for the miracle itself. Jesus just starts handing out bread and fish and he never stops. He gave it to the disciples and the disciples passed it out. In 2 Kings 4, 42 through 43, Elisha performs a similar miracle with barley loaves. We read, a man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asked. But Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat. For this is what the Lord says, they will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. Elisha, by the power of God, feeds 100 men with 20 barley loaves. And Jesus feeds this crowd of thousands with five loaves. And then we continue to read in verse 12. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Everyone ate as much as they wanted. Mark says they ate until they were satisfied. And the Greek word means until they were full. They were completely satiated. The supply was equal to the demand. In fact, there was more than enough. Jesus commands that the scraps be gathered up. And when the disciples collect all the fragments, there's 12 baskets left. You can picture each of the disciples carrying them back to Jesus. And then these 5,000 men proclaim that he's the prophet who has come into the world. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses told the Jews he would raise up a prophet like himself that they must listen to. This is who the people identify Jesus as, the prophet who could not only heal their diseases but provide food. Certainly anyone that could heal diseases, cast out demons, raise the dead, and give free food could surely overthrow the Romans. He could bring a revolution, bring a utopia free from suffering or need. This has to be the king. So the crowd's political aspirations reach a fever pitch. And Jesus knows that this crowd is about to force the issue. So he sends the disciples out onto the Sea of Galilee without him, and he walks away from the crowd up onto the mountain by himself to pray. The crowd disperses, and the disciples are left out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, wondering how Jesus is going to catch up to them. But that's a passage for another time. I have always enjoyed math in school. It's often like a puzzle that needs solving, and puzzles always intrigue me. God's math, though, doesn't always add up. Not the way we think it should. 
He already knows what he wants to do, but we can't always see it. During this test of Philip and the other apostles, Jesus watched his disciples try to solve the problem of feeding this large crowd. He already had the solution, but he wanted to teach them a lesson in faith and submission. And in this passage, we see that there are certain steps which can be helpful to us as we face these problems. First, start with what you have. Andrew found a boy who had a small meal, and he brought the boy and the meal to Jesus. The apostles did not have the money or resources to feed all the people. But this boy had five loaves and two fish that he was willing to share. Or at least we assume he was willing to share it. Like the young boy, God wants us to bring him what we have. The size, the quantity, the quality doesn't matter. The boy gave his lunch, as meager as it was, to Jesus. Our resources are often meager, but we're expected to give what we have. And he will use our pennies. Second, we take what we have and we put them in the hands of Jesus. Jesus took the loaves and fish, he blessed them, and he divided the bread and fish and gave the pieces to his disciples, who in turn fed this crowd of 5,000 until everyone was completely full. In Jesus' hands, our meager offerings are multiplied to meet the needs of people. It's not the offering that we bring, but who we are bringing the offering to. God can do much with just a little. We often feel sometimes that our contribution to Jesus is inadequate, but he can multiply whatever we give him, whether it's our talents, our time, or our treasures. Third, we have to obey what he commands. The disciples had no idea what Jesus was going to do. But they sat the people down as Jesus commanded, and the people sat as they were commanded. And then Jesus starts giving them food. And they distributed these broken pieces and discovered that there was plenty for everybody. We need to remember that as his servants, we're distributors. We're not manufacturers. The Spirit does not come from us. It comes from God, and it's ours to share. If we give what we have to Jesus, it returns to us. He will bless it and give us what we need to fulfill his purpose. There is a story of John Bechtel, a missionary in Hong Kong, that wanted to start a Christian camp to reach people for Christ. A bankrupt multi-million dollar hotel and conference center became available for sale. He made an offer to purchase the property and then traveled around the world to raise the millions he would need. But no one was willing to help, and he returned to Hong Kong discouraged. And then one day he got a letter from a young girl that included one dollar and a note saying she wanted him to use this to buy the camp. John Bechtel prayed. And he took the girl's one dollar to the real estate closing. And the corporation decided to accept the one dollar as full payment. I'm going to give you chills when things like that happen. Since that camp first opened, over a million people have come, and over 100,000 have accepted Christ. Our pennies, our treasures in the hand of Christ can accomplish much. So God's math is this. 
Whatever we have to offer, our offering in Jesus' hands is equal to any need. Let's pray together. Father, we often don't have much to bring to you. And even when we feel like we have much, we know that it's not what we give, but it's how you use it. You use our pennies, you use our talents and abilities such as they are to bless others, and then you return the blessing to us. Please find ways that we can give, use our offerings of time, of money, to bless those around us, and to bless the world for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.